Hello, and welcome to Mission Daily. This is VP of Operations, Albert Chow. On today's episode, I sit down with Chad Pytel, CEO and co-founder of ThoughtBot. In 2003, shortly after he had graduated from college, after a hard lessons learned from a failed startup, Pytel made the decision to start his own company, ThoughtBot. From a tiny team to hundreds of employees across six cities, learn how narrow focused helped build this business. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Welcome, everybody. Today, Mission Daily, we have with us CEO Chad Pytel of ThoughtBot. Now, Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We always think about having a diverse set of guests that are across different businesses and industries. Now, your story is a little, well, very interesting to me personally. I'm based in Raleigh. You have an office in Raleigh, and I'm familiar with what you guys do. But for our audience, if you could just quickly explain, what is ThoughtBot? We're a web design and development product studio. So companies of all different sizes, from brand new startups to large, huge multinational corporations, when they want to do something new or to improve an existing product, they come to us and we help them refine the concept for what they want to do and then build it and launch it quickly, design and build it and launch it quickly. So everything we do launches the first version within 12 weeks. And then we typically iterate from there and grow a team that runs that business around us. So what's interesting about you is this is the only job or thing you've ever done. Is that accurate? Straight out of college, you started ThoughtBot. Well, I've had other jobs uh, (laughs) from dishwasher to um, grocery um, checkout person. But I had been doing freelance design and development since I was in high school as well. And so then when I went to college and graduated, well, I, I went to school in 1998 and that was the height of the dot-com bubble. It was, uh, you know, I went into computer science thinking I was going to have this incredible job opportunity after graduation. And um Graduated in 2002. So that meant I was in college when the dot-com bubble burst and the September 11th attacks happened. The Dow Jones Industrial Average had a huge drop, largest ever at the time. And so me and a lot of my peers graduated into an economy that was really different than when we went into school and we all had trouble finding work. And so I fell back on that freelancing that I had done. And I did find for six months, I had a job that was not ThoughtBot after college. And that was me and a group of people that I worked with. We got a job through the freelancing that I had done for a medical billing software company. And I met the founder through the freelancing and he really had me sucked into the idea. Medical billing, insurance, getting doctors and people paid uh, is really important to me and healthcare is really important to me. So I was really bought into the idea. But unfortunately, things with that company didn't go the way that we all thought they were going to go. Like most startups, it failed. But in particular, the founder was not everything that it seemed. The company was not everything that it seemed to be. The company didn't have the investment that he said that it had. It was a very toxic environment. Um, Lots of yelling and arguments and that kind of thing. And what we found out after the fact, as things started to fall apart, as we stopped being paid, was that he actually had a personality disorder. And so he wasn't being the way that he was out of like inten- being intentional. He wasn't lying intentionally. It was part of his personality disorder. And so things fell apart there after six months. 
but that is the start of ThoughtBot because I had been doing freelancing for so long and I now had a group of people that I went to school with and was working with. We, they were my friends. We all enjoyed working together. And so, but being through that sort of ringer, um, we were all feeling the same way, which was, I don't really feel like talking about what we just went through. I don't feel like going and, and doing job interviews. If I could get some clients, would we want to keep on working together? And that's the start of ThoughtBot is, is keeping that group together, doing the work that we like to do. So I'm going to age myself. So I graduated the exact same year to year did, 2002. And I remember exactly what it was like coming out in that climate. So take me back to those early days. So you got a freelance team. You guys know each other, right? You're in an economic environment that's not that good, right? And you've just been part of a startup that didn't work out. So did they kind of look at you and say, hey, Chad, you're the leader? Or <laughs> how did that come about where you said, okay, let's form ourselves into a business? They did look to me as the leader. And at the time, it wasn't a problem. And what I've come to understand is if you actually look back, so we did we did theater together. We, we started an improv group and did an improv group of which I was the director. We did a sketch comedy group where I played you know, producer a lot of the times on a lot of the sketches that we were doing. And I was one of the founders of the group. So in every dynamic of, even though that we were friends, every dynamic of, of group that we had belonged to, I was in a leadership position. And I made the mistake of when we started ThoughtBot thinking it was going to be different. And so we said, you know, we're all in this together. We're going to split everything equally and we're each going to have our roles, but I was going to be CEO. And it was never... It would have been better if we had sat down in the beginning and really had maybe a tough conversation about the contributions that each of us were going to make. Because if we had actually done that, we probably would have not split everything up equally. So what happened when we started was, you know, we were all right out of school. We had no savings. We had just had a job where we hadn't been paid for a few for a few months thinking that it was going to to work out until things fell apart. So I called up people, made some phone calls of, of past freelancing clients. And what we wanted to do was design and build software so and websites. And so I would make a call and maybe that person that uh, that company that we had worked that I had worked with before didn't need anything for their website, but they wanted to help. They knew that I was like a computer guy and they said, well, we don't really need our website done or anything like that, but we have a computer that's acting up. Can you help us with that? Or we have a, um, a network we need to improve. Can you help us with that? Starting out from scratch, we needed that work. And so we said, yeah, we can help with that. And we started to do a bunch of different things and we put a nice name on it. We said, okay, if we're going to build websites and web products and software, but we're also going to do tech support, then maybe we could be a full service IT consulting for small and medium sized businesses. And we scraped by doing everything that anyone would pay us to do with computers for two years until the three of the original founders said, you know, let's, we're just going to go get regular jobs at this point. And it was that point that was the first important turning point for ThoughtBot because we needed to explicitly make the decision to either stick with it or do what our friends had just showed us they could we could do is walk away. We were not successful in both. I have two things, components of success. Success is not only money, but are you fulfilled in your work? Are you happy 
in what you're doing. And we were failing on both of those counts. We weren't happy in what we were doing and because we were doing everything for everybody and didn't really have, uh, we weren't doing what we set out to do and we weren't successful money-wise. So take me to that moment, right? So here you are, you have a team, three of your got three of your team members have decided they're going to do something different. You are strapped for money. And the only money you have is fulfilling an IT service that you didn't really want to fulfill. So, so that's a piece of your revenue. So how did you make the decision to say, hey, we're going to ignore the market here, which is saying we're an IT services company and we're going to go after this unknown market? Because what's interesting to me is that uh, you're a developer by trade, but you also mentioned something that you did that most developers don't do, which is pick up the phone, make phone calls and sell. Like you, it sounds like you were selling, actively selling IT service. Well, maybe not IT services, but you were looking for contracts. <laughs> yeah, and I was trying to sell other things and ended up selling <laughs> IT services. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's just always been my nature and it's part of what um, has shaped ThoughtBot is developers at ThoughtBot aren't people who are just go behind a closed door and 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 code. They're great communicators um, that want to be engaged in the business side of things. I've always I've always been that way. Faced with the decision or faced with that turning point, our friends had just showed us that we could walk away and everything would be fine because we weren't successful financially. There was really nothing to lose. And so we were pretty explicit about it. We 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 made the intentional choice that this was not doing if we were not happy, not worth doing, if we weren't happy. And so we literally, and I'm I'm not at just saying a metaphor. Like we literally took out a piece of paper and a pen, and wrote a list of the things that we wanted to do and the things that we didn't want to do. And because we had nothing to lose, um, and it was just two of us at that point. It wasn't like we had a team of people that we needed to make sure, you know, had food on their table or anything. If we if we turned away a client because it wasn't a fit or a piece of work because it wasn't a fit, it was only on us. And so we were freed up to make those hard choices and to say no to things we didn't want to do. And you can probably guess where this is going that that almost overnight it was it was very dramatic the minute we started to say no to things that we didn't want to do um the we were defining who we were and what we believed as a company and so then people could finally choose find us and choose us when we were a full service IT consulting company that would do anything we weren't anything to anybody because you know, there's so many IT consulting companies out in the world. There are so many web design or product design and development companies out there. And so if we didn't have a point of view about w- how we worked and what we did, then why would anyone ever find or choose us? And that's why we were mediocre. It wasn't until we started being willing to work like we had nothing to lose that we started to be successful because people could find us. So how did you narrow that message? I mean, did it start with the website? Did it start with your pitches? How did you narrow your message? And what did you narrow it to so that people could clearly understand what ThoughtBot was going to deliver? There were a few key defining practices that, you know, this was not intentional business-wise, but now, now I understand how this is like, had we been intentional about this, we would have done the same thing. What was driving it was, we're not happy now. We're not working in the ways that we believe are best. So let's do that. And when we do it, let's tell people about it. And so we had a blog and we blogged about it. So for example, one of those things was um, test-driven development. So test-driven development is a software development practice where 
when you're writing code, before you write the code, you write code that tests the code that you're about to write. And what that does is it means that you're much more intentional about the 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 software that you're building and you don't introduce as many bugs because you're writing automated tests along with all of the code that you write. And it also means that once that code is all written, you are freed up to change what you've done, iterate on it really quickly because you know you're not breaking anything along the way. That's kind of reverse of what I feel like modern DevOps preaches, where it's like, hey, be sure you can identify a bug and roll it back really quick. You're saying, hey, let's identify bugs before we ship it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it's a more established practice now. At the time, this was 2005, it was not an established practice. In fact, you can find at the time there were blog posts from CTOs and that kind of thing saying like, we tried this at my company and it failed, that kind of stuff. And this is a really good example of how you know, we were doing some projects with test-driven development. We were doing some without. And it was very clear to us that not only was the result better when we were doing test-driven development, but we were more fulfilled in our work. And so we said, we're going to do test-driven development and we're not going to work with anybody who doesn't let us do that. We were choosing our niche when we did that. By, you know, there are so many software development companies in the world at the time, the majority of them did not do test-driven development. So if a company is led by a CTO or a founder who believes in test-driven development and wants to do it, they're never going to work with a company that doesn't do it. So by saying and putting it out there that this is the way that we work and this is what we believe, yes, it was a smaller group of companies who worked that way, but now we were the one or two companies in Boston that another company who believed in it was going to work with because, and they would be able to find us because we had put it out there that we do test driven development. So that's just one example of, you know, it's counterintuitive to say, you know, 90% of the market is not, it doesn't believe in this thing, but 10% does. Let's put ourselves into the 10%. It's like, you know, you can be the big fish in the small pond. You can stand out more. Seth Godin talks a lot about this in terms of creating your niche and finding the people who believe what you believe. And sometimes that means, you know, it can be counterintuitive because you're, you're putting yourself in what you perceive as the smaller market, but you're going to be more successful in it. I think my old CTO used to have like a, a sign on his, his wall that said quality price or speed, take, pick, th- right. pick two out of three, <laughs> right? right? You can't have all three. Right. So what was, what was this test, um, this test driven development? Was it like to the market sacrifice speed or what were you telling people that, what, what did people, I guess, want to push you for that you weren't willing to give? And ultimately that customer that found you obviously did, but like you, like you said, you had to say no to a couple of people were they trying to yeah. speed you up or what was the downside? That, I guess that that is, about? that's a great question because that is the perception is that test driven development is slower. And so in that triangle, quality, speed, and price. Um, the perception would be that we were slower. And so the cu- the ideal customer for us would be valuing quality and not price. We were more expensive. <laughs> this is really interesting because I, I actually don't, I haven't really unpacked why, but at ThoughtBot, we have always reacted to someone wanting us not to do something. It's particularly like, oh, this is slower, so therefore we shouldn't do it. We haven't been like, oh, you're right. We have been, that motivates us to pick that as like something that we're going to overcome. And so we then said, 
we are going to be just as fast. This motivates us to be just as fast as anybody who doesn't do test-driven development. And what we're going to do is we're going to create tools and software libraries and everything to help us be even better and faster at test-driven development. And again, this is driven by fulfillment so that we could do what made us happy. Turned out that had huge business benefits as well because we're creating all this open source that lets us be better and faster at doing test-driven development. But then we were putting it out in the world and developers all over the world are picking it up. And now they know who ThoughtBot is because we're helping them be better and faster at their jobs. And so when a company that believes in test-driven development wants to do it, not only do they find us, but they find us because they're already using the software that we've written. So over 75% of all Ruby on Rails applications studies have shown that have been done by hosting companies include at least one ThoughtBot open source package in them. So Ruby on Rails is a super popular web development framework. It's what Twitter was originally built in. It's what lots of companies like Groupon and Airbnb and Kickstarter and Shopify, they all built on Rails. So 75% of all those Rails applications in the world are including at least one of our open source packages in them. That's tremendous for our business. We didn't do it for business reasons, but it had tremendous business benefits. So that's how people find us. I actually built a uh, Rails application a while ago. Well, I had me and my partner did, and they I, he, they were the developer, obviously. So now I want to go back and ask, "Hey, did we add?" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, because we built a Shopify application, so it had to be on Rails. So here you are. You've you've narrowed your niche, and it, your your story actually is very similar to uh, Tony Shea's story at Zappos. I think he said there was like a pivotal point in Zappos where he he identified that customer happiness was ultimately going to make Zappos, make or break Zappos. And he identified that 33% of the revenue was coming from something that wasn't making people happy. So he cut it and people were like freaking out, like you're cutting out this huge revenue chunk, right? So here you are, you've narrowed your niche. You said you had naturally been a leader, but now you're starting, I feel like to get a company, right? You've got customers, you're probably starting to scale. Now this has got to be new to you. Did you look to, how did you learn how to do that, I guess. It was just trial and error or did you get a mentor or how did you now say, okay, it's more than my core team now. I'm, I'm bringing in, let's say outsiders, right? People that I've not worked with before into my team to work on projects for customers. The interesting thing is I, I don't want to say that I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. And the reason why I think we got by is because we were very, very clear about our beliefs and our practices. And ultimately, those meant that, that meant that we were very clear about our values as a company. And so that allowed us to attract people who believed what we believed, just like we were attracting customers who believed what we believed. Early team members who were joining were, were finding us because we were the only company in Boston that used Rails and did tester and development. So if you wanted to work at a company that did that, there was only one. <laughs> and so those technology choices were proxies. They they stand for something from a developer perspective about what our values for the kinds of work we want to do are. And so we got a tremendous amount of leeway or runway from people joining the company and knowing what the expectations were and how they behave as a developer and, and a designer because of those things that we were very explicit about. And I think in the early days, that allowed us to not worry so much about sort of traditional business trappings, 
because we were unintentionally hiring for values. And that I've come to understand is super important. <laughs> hiring for values is, is really important. It's what we do today, but it was happening unintentionally back then. And that allowed us to build that runway of sort of like myself as a leader and figuring out how to run a company to catch up. So is this now happening, all occurring, I would assume, pr- prior to 2008? It was. So we grew from the two people in 2005 to eight people in 2006 and then 16 people in 2008. So 2008 rolls around. Of course, everyone knows 2008, 2009, another recession hits, right? And what's interesting is, you know, you're just a few years away. From, it's a really transformative time in tech, right? Because here you have this recession's on and you're working for big companies. So I know they're cutting back on spending. You know, I want to talk about that transition because that's happening. And then in 2011, the iPhone hits the market, which of course is going to transform enterprise applications and desires for websites very, very quickly. Talk to me through that because you're over 100 employees now, correct? We are. We're 110 people across six studios. Um, we work locally in those cities. So each city is designers and developers that are working with local customers. So we're in London, UK, um, and Raleigh-Durham, like you mentioned, Boston, New York, Austin, and San Francisco. And at the time, we were just in Boston. And we really believed that we didn't know how to be bigger than the 16 to 20 people that we were and be successful. Again, metrics for success are primarily, are we fulfilled in our work? And we don't have a lot of good examples in our industry at the time of larger consulting companies or larger agencies that we would point to and say, like, we want to be like them. And so we intentionally stayed small. And that unintentionally helped us in 2008 because we were we were 16 people. A few people decided to move to San Francisco and that was working okay, but we weren't really a remote team. The tooling certainly for working remotely wasn't the same as it was as it is now. And so those people through talking to them, we, we said, we'd like you to move back to Boston. And they said, we don't really want to. And we, so we decided to part ways right in 2008. And so we, we unintentionally around fulfillment ended up shrinking the team by a couple people. And that allowed us to weather 2008 and 2009, really stay, staying small for values reasons and refining the team for those like working and fulfillment reasons. This is going to be a through line is like uh, just my the whole career, like success of ThoughtBot has been being driven and doing the things based on like fulfillment and having unintended positive side effects come from them. In fact, I'm not even sure that if I had tried to do some of these things that I had done for business reasons that I would have ever chosen to do them. I used to say that I got lucky with some of the things, but now I understand like you don't put put yourself in a position to get lucky unless you're willing to put yourself out there and to make hard choices, put yourself in a position to be lucky. So, for example, one of the things that we put on we put on the list that we wrote down on that first day is we had been using Ruby on Rails and we had some projects that didn't use Ruby on Ruby on Rails had just come out in 2005. So we were using it before it hit 1.0. It hit 1.0 in 2005. We said, it's very clear, we're doing some projects in Ruby on Rails now. We're doing others 
not. And it's very clear to us as developers and designers, we're building better products in the ways that we want to with Rails. And so let's stop doing the things that aren't making us happy. Let's use Rails. And we put that out in the world. And we found out after the fact that we were the first consulting company in the world to switch to Ruby on Rails. Ruby on Rails added a top-level consulting link to the, to the nav and added a page, rubyonrails.org slash consulting. There were three companies listed there, and we were one of the three. If we were just chasing, we didn't do that because we thought Rails was going to be popular. We did it because we truly believed it was better and we were happier, and, it, and then it got popular. If we were chasing the popular thing, we would have chosen, I don't know, something else, and we probably wouldn't have gotten it right. So I used to say we got super lucky choosing Rails, but now I know like if we hadn't been willing to be to put ourselves out there and be ahead of the curve, we would have missed the chance to get lucky on that. To me, it sounds like there's like there's definitely also a level of financial discipline in the way you're operating, right? Where you're not taking bets just to see if there's more revenue on the other side of the door. It's more like you're you're so core and concentrated in where you want to specialize in. Was there ever inklings or urges? Like, did you have urges to say like, oh, if we do this, we might open up our marketplace? Or were you, were you just very focused on, like you said, your two core values of being really fulfilled in what you were doing that I guess guided you during all the growth and expansion that's existing in, in tech. I think I, I would be I wouldn't be being truthful if I said like we didn't hedge sometimes or do, even if you look back at that original Ruby on Rails blog post where we said we are switching to Rails. In that we said we're doing we're currently doing all these technologies. We are going to stop using these and that that's what Ruby on Rails is going to replace, but we'll probably still have to use Java for some projects that we do. It just turned out that we never got another Java because Ruby on Rails started to be so successful and started to grow into a better fit for everything. We never got another Java project or needed to do another Java project again. So even then, we sort of hedged the original thing. There have been other times where the big one today that I would point to, just in all honesty, is reminding ourselves that we didn't choose Rails because we thought it was going to be popular. We chose it because it is the thing that we as designers and developers felt like we wanted to do and it was a letting us do our best work. So nowadays, we don't it's not like we don't explore every single new thing that comes out because, but it's not because we're trying to find the next business success. We're doing it because as designers and developers, we would kick ourselves if we didn't find the next thing that makes us even better at what we do and more fulfilled in our work. And but there are times where we look at the situation and we say, data engineering, data science, that is clearly an area where the products that we're building are growing in that area. It's a hot market. We don't want to miss out on that. And so let's be building proficiency there. And it happens in sort of a, probably the most artificial way that it happens at ThoughtBot. That's one example. And most things at ThoughtBot happen very organically. But for us sort of at the top to sort of send a message to the whole company saying, we see this as an area that not only are, you know, that we should be growing in is different and, and, and somewhat artificial. And, but I, I think it comes from a good place of like not wanting to miss out on where we think product design and development is going in the future. So how do you balance that? Because we know today, 
Um, well, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your opinions on this. Do you believe, first of all, that today more products and services are being released at a higher velocity and frequency than, let's say, 10 years ago? It, it, it seems that the answer is yes. And then, I guess, how do you prevent, um, you know, I used to work with someone that's called it chasing shining balls, right? How do you prevent that you're spending all your time chasing shining balls versus like you did when you started the company, which is focusing in on being exceptionally good at a specific language or programming uh, framework? We believe in continuous improvement and we work on client products four days a week and we have very high standards for our speed and what we deliver and the products we're building during those four days a week. And when a client hires us and, and we're going to launch something, we're going to go from concept to launch of a brand new business and a brand new idea in 12 weeks time or less, we can't use all new technology. We can't, the way, the sort of like the rule that we have is like, you can, you can, you have room in that environment to try maybe one new thing because more than one new thing introduces too much risk to the timeline into that business. And so, but we have the fifth day where we, we call it investment time and it's time for investing in ourselves. So learning new things, becoming better at what we do and faster at what we do, investing in our company. So we want everyone to have time set aside where they can contribute to the management and decision-making of the company and what happens, or even just like time to organize the office or improve it and investing in our community. So volunteering, mentoring, speaking, doing open source, writing, those kinds of things. So having that time set aside on a weekly basis really helps because you don't need to make huge shifts. I think when you don't have time set aside on a weekly basis, you can see it at a lot of companies. You see something that could be improved or a new technology and you think you need to make a big a change all at once because you only get the opportunity to make this change now. And when you know that you're going to have that time like on a regular short feedback cycle, you can make smaller, more iterative changes because you know your goal is not to improve the whole thing. The goal is to make tomorrow better than today and next week better than this week. And over time, consistently doing that with small little improvements we're going to make big changes, but it's going to take, you know, we're going to do it consistently over time. So that's how we strike the balance, shipping real products every day, four days a week, having the fifth day for learning new things and trying things out and making small improvements that we can then immediately incorporate into our work the rest of the four days a week. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. This idea of continuous learning, continuous improvement in your development. Thoughtbot has its own podcast. Yep. Giant Robots. Yeah, I co-host it with Lindsay Christensen, our uh, chief marketing officer. Uh, we uh, we trade off episodes and we do episodes together. So the name of that podcast is Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. Is that right? That's right. Yep. And you also have a blog named the same thing. We do. The funny story behind that name is that the group of original founders had a band. I was not in the band, but they were in a band together in college and the name of that band was Giant Robots Smashing and Other Giant Robots. And so when we started our blog, I was like, that is an incredible name. I want to reuse it again. Because <laughs> it was like they, were, they performed like once or twice. I was like, it's a shame to let that name go to waste. So that's where the name comes from. I mean, I feel like it fits the brand because the, the ThoughtBot logo is, the, is a robot. 
I noticed on that blog, it looks like it's got a lot of contributors, right? So is that something that you encourage on your side to have multiple different people? If you have ideas, things to explore? Yeah. Everyone at the company can contribute to the blog, you know, and we have the time set aside for people who want uh, one day a week for people who want to contribute to the blog. And so that, that kind of environment allows tons of people to contribute. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons the blog has been going for so long and is popular is because we publish consistently to it. Very cool. And you mentioned just moments ago that you're also, you know, you have this value that you want people to volunteer and be stewards in the community of development as well as just helping out in general. Yeah. So that doesn't just mean design and development community. It means our local community as well. So volunteering, not only in tech, but outside of tech is important to us. And that's that exists at, I'm assuming, all six of the locations that, that ThoughtBot operates. Yep. Yep. Very cool. For yourself, do you do, have you, or have you done leadership mentoring or guided other people that young entrepreneurs that are just starting out in their journey? I, I have probably not as much. Uh, so I belong to a service called Clarity and have done some calls on that. I don't know if you're, it's like a, where if you have a question, you can find someone who will help you with that and it'll arrange a phone call. I belong to a group of people who are um, in similar consulting businesses and we get together twice a year to uh, to help each other and ThoughtBot is further along in terms of size and everything than a lot of the companies in that. And so that's a really good forum for getting together on a regular basis and helping each other with our businesses. Based on your perspective today, today's market, what do you think is like key advice? It sounds like establishing a core market and value system is very key and central to your beliefs. I didn't know if there were any other things that you just, if you, you would provide advice to just to, let's say someone who's just about to break away and start their own journey. There was another piece of advice very early on, which is one that I I give, and I mentioned it, is my co-founders and I never actually sat down when we were guiding started and had an honest conversation about what each of our contributions are going to be and how we should split equity based on that and what our roles were going to be. We didn't we didn't have that honest conversation, and it would have been much better upfront if we had that conversation. And I do talk to a lot of new founders and I start asking them about whether they've had that conversation or not. And they haven't. A lot of founding teams don't put a shareholders agreement or, you know, coming to that understanding, even if it doesn't end up in like a document that you both sign, uh, that's an official shareholders agreement or whatever, but just having that honest, maybe difficult conversation about how things are going to go. You know, we were able to part ways as founders very amicably. We may never have needed to, or it would have been even better had we had that upfront conversation. And so I really encourage new founding teams to not be afraid. I know it's difficult to have those honest conversations about how each of you is going to contribute to the company, but I really recommend it. Yeah, that's kind of core to your development process too, right? Like you got to iron it out. Before honesty you, honesty before you is begin. key. You know, we we believe in a truly collaborative environment where people can, you know, throw out their ideas and not out of fear of how they're going to be perceived or that they're going to, you know, that people can build on each other's ideas. You can't do that without honesty and without trust. If you don't have trust between an understanding between the people that are working together, it's very hard to be honest and it's very hard to then work collaboratively. And so building a foundation of trust 
by being honest with each other about what you're going to be doing is super important to building a collaborative environment where you're all do- where everyone's doing their best work. And then that kind of builds us up to where ThoughtBot is today and how are so one of the things that we think about is the future of software development. Let's just say do you see a world where that's going to be pulled in by the companies? Do you think the consultative agencies are going to continue to thrive, multiply, shrink? And how do you ensure that you stay, I guess, alive? Because there's going to be so much, like, I think we can agree there's going to be a ton of change going forward. Everyone seems to be hiring developers from like actual brands themselves to like tech services like you to actual tech companies. It seems like every company is now a tech company. How do you see the future of marketplaces development shaping out? So you're right that the market is changing, but we've been doing this for 16 years and the market continually changes. And so the reason why I don't get worried about it is because I understand what ThoughtBot is. So for example, if we were an outsourcing company that just puts butts in seats and provides mediocre designers and developers in staff augmentation, I'd be worried. Primarily because we work locally with people and it's getting easier and easier to just outsource and remote to places. And those people are pretty good, but that's not what we do. We are provide world-class leading product design and development. And that can grow and change from mobile to artificial intelligence to data. To data. It's going to grow and change. People work with ThoughtBot because they want to work with people who are on the forefront of that unknown. What we do is not commodity stuff. If you want to work with someone who already knows what they're doing or you you that kind of thing, you can outsource to anybody or you can build that expertise in house. When you don't know what you don't know, when you are faced with big challenges, being able to work with a team that has a structure for solving those challenges and dealing with uncertainty and being on the cutting edge of product design and development, no matter what that product means, that's what people work with ThoughtBot for. And that's not going away as long as we keep on moving forward as a company and pursuing being on the edge of it so that we don't slide into mediocrity and slide into sort of the commodity realm of what we do. Chad, thanks for your time joining us today on Mission. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to talk about ThoughtBot and the things that I am passionate about. I could literally talk forever about these topics. So if anybody ever wants to get in touch, um, I'm C. Pytel on Twitter or just email me at chad at thoughtbot.com. I'm happy to talk. They also own their own or host their own podcast, Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. You can also find them on their website at their blog. They are leaders in Ruby on Rails development and ThoughtBot is leaders in test-driven development. Chad, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. 
Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.